0: That's going to be our primary text for the lesson this morning. As we talk about what Jesus said about, about divorce, the family is definitely under assault in the culture in which we live. And there are lots of ways that Satan is accomplishing his purposes. He's getting his work done. We are seeing, uh, the, in, in many respects we are seeing the decline of Western civilization uh, in the the lifetime that we're living. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the demise of the family as God designed it, with marriage and parenting. And and so I, I think for the people of God, it is going to become more and more important for us to be crystal clear in our own minds What Jesus taught his disciples about marriage, what Jesus said about divorce, what Jesus said about the little children, their innocence, their purity, and their importance in the economy of God. It's important for us, if we're going to be the true disciples of Jesus in a crooked and perverse generation, we need to be crystal clear in our own minds what. Jesus said about some things that in our culture are becoming farther and farther removed from the Judeo-Christian ethic. In in Matthew, the 19th chapter, some interesting things going on. And that, that led to this question from the Pharisees about divorce. In our lifetime, the attitude toward Divorce has changed in our culture, and it's changed remarkably. Uh, I'm really not that old, but I've talked to some older preachers, and I I have understood a few things that they had to address and deal with in their early years of preaching. But I, I would tell you that in past generations in the American culture, Divorce was not the issue that it is right now. And I think perhaps for three basic reasons that in past generations in America, divorce was not as much of an issue as it is right now. Number one, it wasn't as much of an issue because of family moral force. And I mean by that, in past generations, people valued family more than they do in the present culture. A family meant something. Being together, we're we're approaching a period of the holiday period, the Thanksgiving to Christmas uh, period, when everything, everything, uh, uh, as much as it's being commercialized in the culture that we're living in, everything used to be centered around family. These were the times because jobs are set aside. Vacation periods are offered. People are getting together with their loved ones. And in past generations, family equaled loved ones. And and there was a great emphasis on family and its importance. And when families were getting together, it meant something. It was important. People sacrificed to be there. Uh, They would drive for hundreds of miles. They would they would stay up all night long to, to be together because grandma's going to be there, because grandpa's going to be there, because the aunts and uncles and cousins were going to be together. We don't get to see each other. Family was important in generations past. I'm saying to you, in our present generation, if we're not careful, we're losing that. We're losing that. And one of the, one of the opportunities that our families have is the opportunity to teach our children, the importance of family. But in past generations, perhaps, divorce wasn't as much of an issue because of the family moral force. Secondly, in past generations, there was the social expectation uh, that was involved. That is, the culture itself assigned a negative value to divorce in the past. It was not that long ago. It was not that long ago when there was a very popular individual who was running for president and the the big question was do you think that he will be able to achieve the nomination and be successful because even though he's been married for years and years and years he had one divorce in his past and so there was a question about whether or not he could even be considered when you consider the moral situation we're in right now that looks like a joke it was just a few years ago that that was the case that that was a real consideration and I'm saying to you that in past generations divorce was not as much an issue because even the culture was very sensitive to it Uh, thirdly there was the spiritual and doctrinal impediment in the past and I mean by that that in years past Biblical teaching mattered. I'm not saying that everybody followed biblical teaching. I am saying that everybody acknowledged that the Bible was the Bible and this is what it said. They might not follow it, but they understood that that's what it said. Today, our children and grandchildren are growing up in in the divorce culture. Marriage is diminished. Marriage is redefined. Marriage is really put on a shelf and uh, is seen as somewhat irrelevant in many respects. And uh, it seems today that the only people who are seriously pursuing discussions about marriage are people who are, from a biblical standpoint, not eligible to be participants in marriage. And I'm talking about all of the strange uh, situations and the tremendous confusion, gender confusion that exists in the culture in which we're living. And everyone is wanting to bring that into the marriage relationship. And and I want to say to you this morning, the Bible is not unclear. The Bible is not unclear about marriage. To the contrary, what Jesus said about marriage, what he said about divorce is simple and straightforward. And And I'm going to remind you as we begin this morning that there are two extremes that always challenge God's people when we talk about divorce. Two extremes. Our biggest challenge in almost every discussion is finding the balance. But there are two extremes. Number one, there is the extreme that says nobody should be divorced for any reason. If they are, they're wrong. And I'm saying to you, Ladies and gentlemen, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus acknowledged, even as Moses did in the giving of the law, that people do not always do what God instructed them to do. Husbands do not always behave as husbands ought. Wives do not always behave as wives ought. God acknowledged in both covenants, in both testaments, God acknowledged that divorce exists. And he addressed that in both testaments. The Bible does not say, and Jesus did not say, no divorce, period, and anybody who is divorced is wrong. He did not say that. And we need to be very careful. lest we find ourselves in the very uh, inappropriate position of heaping more pain and more sorrow on someone who has already been victimized in their personal marriage situation by a spouse who is unfaithful, only to have spiritual family turn on them at the same time, as if they have done something wrong. I'm saying to you, let's be clear about what Jesus did not say. He did not say that anybody who is divorced is wrong and is in sin. But the second thing that Jesus did not say, and in this context, he was very clear not to say it. He did not say, hey, if you want to get divorced, just go ahead. It's not a big deal Anybody can be divorced for any reason. He did not say that either. And he did not say to his disciples, well, you know, it wasn't good to be divorced, but so many people are divorced now. If you don't just learn to get over it and accept it, you're not going to have anybody left in the church. That's not what he said. So what did he say? Well, in Matthew, the 19th chapter, we read about, beginning in verse 1, the, the end of the Galilean ministry. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee. So the Galilean ministry is coming to an end. And now he's coming down into Perea. He came down into the borders of Judea beyond the Jordan. In the Transjordan area, he's left Galilee, he's coming down. But he didn't come straight down. You know why, don't you? You know that area between Galilee and Judea? You remember what it was called? Samaria. And and the Jews didn't spend a lot of time passing through that dirt. They generally crossed the Jordan and came down through Perea and then crossed back over and came. And, And on this particular journey, you remember in John 4, Jesus needed to go through Samaria And he did. But on this occasion, he crosses the Jordan. He comes into Perea, and this is the beginning of the uh, Perean ministry beyond the Jordan. Now, why is that important? And why did the Holy Spirit tell us that he is right now, he is in that area on the other side of the Jordan River? He hasn't crossed back over and come into Jerusalem yet. Why did he tell us that? Well, this territory was under the control of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was one of the 14 children. You, you thought the shoemakers had a lot of children. He, he was one of the 14 children of Herod the Great. And he was married to, you remember, Herodias. But Herod was married to Herodias who just happened to be his brother Philip's wife. But folks, that's not the end of the story. He was married to Herodias, and he divorced his wife to marry her. But Herodias was the wife of Philip. But that's not all. She was the daughter of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was another brother. Philip had married his brother's daughter. And then Herod Antipas stole her from Philip and married his niece after Philip had married her. This entire scenario was an abomination in the eyes of God. Well, all the Jews knew that, but who said it? Who went up to Herod and and said, It is not lawful for you to be married to her. Every priest in Judea knew it. Who said it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, This is what God teaches about marriage. This is what God said about divorce. It is not lawful for you to be married to her. Now, let me ask you something. John the Baptist told the truth about this divorce remarriage situation. And what happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head. He ended up dead because of this. So, when the Pharisees come to Jesus in Perea, which is the area controlled by Herod, who had already killed John the Baptist for what? For speaking the truth on divorce. That's why he killed him. They are seeking to entrap Jesus, verse 3, the first thing the Holy Spirit tells us is this is a test. This is a, this is a challenge. They're, they're trying to entrap Jesus. And, and so they're, they're trying to entrap him in the very area where Herod lives. Already one prophet has been beheaded over this. Now if they can get Jesus, if they can draw him into this discussion, wow, there's all kinds of possibilities that the people are going to get mad and he, Jesus will be discredited in the eyes of the people, and maybe Herod will even kill him. So they seek to entrap him with a question that had to do with the question of the day. It was the Shema'i hillel discussion, the, the liberal conservative position. Uh, do you take the liberal position or the conservative position on this divorce-remarriage stuff? It is lawful? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? For every cause. Let let me say something to you. They already knew what Jesus said about divorce. You remember Matthew the 5th chapter and the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew the 5th chapter, if if you think John the Baptist had a conservative view, remember what Jesus said? You have heard that it was said, I'm in verse 27, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I'm saying to you, everyone that looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then Jesus said in verse 31, It was also said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, everyone that puts away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, makes her an adulteress. And whoever shall marry her when she is put away, commits adultery. Wow. Wow. That's heavy. But that's not new. That, The Sermon on the Mount was his inaugural address. I mean, from the first time he stood publicly in his ministry and addressed the multitudes, Jesus laid it out. This is what God said about the sanctity of marriage and about the problem of divorce. This is what God said. I'm saying to you, the Pharisees already knew the teaching, but they're baiting Jesus on this occasion. They want him to take a position because if he takes the liberal position, the conservatives are going to eat him for lunch. And if he takes a really conservative position, the liberals are going to chew him up and Herod's going to kill him. So either way, it's a win-win, they think, for them. So when Jesus responds to them about this question about divorce, what did Jesus say about divorce? First of all, he did not argue positions and interpretations. He did not say, Ah, well, I follow, I follow Rabbi Shemai on this one. Or I cut my teeth on Rabbi Hillel's classes. That's not what he said. He didn't argue somebody's position. And He did not get involved in a hypothetical situation if A marries B and they divorce and then C comes into the picture. And Jesus didn't go down that road either. He did not take any man's position. And secondly, he did not argue hypothetical positions. Instead, instead, Jesus quoted God. and he starts off by saying when they asked the question is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause he answered and said have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and he said for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so then they are no more two but one flesh What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So they say, okay. That sounds good, but answer me this one. Why then did Moses write it into the law? How are you going to answer that? Why then did Moses command to give a bill of divorcement to put her away? And he said, Moses... For the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives, from the beginning it was not so. And I'm telling you, whoever shall put away his wife, whoever shall divorce his wife, except that be for sexual immorality, commits adultery. And marries another, commits adultery. And the one that marries her, that is put away, commits adultery. Five things in this response that I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else this morning, I want you to remember these five things that Jesus said about divorce. Number one is this. They were asking about divorce. Jesus immediately began responding with a little lesson about marriage. And he said, here is something you need to remember when you get married. No options. You better think a long time. And you better think very well before you commit to join yourself for the rest of your life with another human being. And I'll tell you why. Because once you enter into that arrangement, no options. No options. Jesus said, here it is. Have you not read? He who made them from the beginning made them male and female ladies and gentlemen do you see those two words no options marriage is for a male and a female i don't care how many laws get passed i don't care how many supreme court decisions come down god said that marriage is for a man and a woman period no options it's not for a man and two women it's not for two men and one woman It is not for unspeakable arrangements. It's for one man, and it's for one woman, and don't miss this, and it is for life. No option. Somebody asks you, well... What what, what do you believe about, uh, about marriage and divorce? I believe what Jesus said. What did he say about divorce? He said no options. Don't forget that. One man, one woman for life. That's the way it is. That's what he taught. That's what he meant. That is not hard to understand. It may be easy to disagree with. It may be easy to repudiate and and, and reject if, if, if you are pursuing your own agenda, but it's not hard to understand. Secondly, Jesus said, stick together. You're asking me about divorce. Let me tell you my response to that. Stick together. That was God's intention from the beginning. That a man, a woman, they're going to leave father and mother. And what's that word? And they are going to cleave to one another. That is a word that means glue. It means adhesive. They are going to be cemented together. Jesus said, "Why are you asking me about about separating from each other?" You want to know what God said? God said, "Stick together." That means that you are in constant pursuit of one another as you are drawing together toward each other. I want to tell you something that is irrefutable. You cannot be in mind and heart and in will. You cannot be leaving someone and cleaving to them at the same time. Just make up your mind what you're going to do. It's one or the other. You're either sticking together or you're coming apart. Jesus said, here's what God said, stick together. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what he said from the very beginning. The third thing Jesus said is, don't you know what what God said in the beginning he made them male and female, and he said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one. Listen. Well, I'll tell you, we're just, we're just not the same. We're just living in two different worlds. Listen to me. Stop thinking in terms of two. You're talking like you're two single people who are sharing uh, sharing an apartment. You are not college roommates anymore. If you're a male and female, hope you never were. But this, this is not a friendship arrangement. This is not someone that you are going to date for a while. Marriage is not dating. Marriage is not about a temporary arrangement. Marriage is not a tryout. When you get married with someone, Jesus said, you become one flesh. That's what God said in the very beginning. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians the 6th chapter reminded the Corinthians why they could not go to the pagan idolatrous temple and participate in the cultic uh, immoral rites uh, that were practiced there. You can't do that, Paul said, because in doing so, you are physically being joined to another. You cannot do that. You can't do that. You have become one in marriage with your spouse, and spiritually, you have become one with Christ. And so Jesus said, what is this business about? I've got to be me. I've got to live my life. I've got to be true to myself. I've got to be happy. You're sounding very cultural, but you're not sounding very biblical. You will never read in the Bible where God says to someone, you just need to be true to yourself. You'll never read that. But you'll read over and over in the Bible where God reminds people, you need to be true to me. To the death, you need to be true to me. And I'll tell you something, folks, when in a marriage situation people begin to speak as if they are two singles who somehow got somehow got stuck together in, in in this uncomfortable arrangement that it's not it's just not working for us. How many times have I heard somebody say it's just not working for us. make it work. Figure it out. What do you mean it's not working for us? You're no longer too it's not Listen, you're talking about one person. You're going to split yourself in half here? You have become one. Why are you acting like you're still dealing with two here? Fourth thing Jesus said. Do you not understand who's behind this? What God has joined together. You're you're talking about something that was God's. uh, Quit acting like marriage was your idea. Quit acting like marriage is all about you. Quit acting like and behaving as if that this, this decision about marriage that was something that you came up with in your own mind and you made the decision and now you're making the decision to break it and this is something that you have. This is about God. Marriage is about God. And what Jesus said is when you start messing with marriage, You are messing with God's work. And he said, let me speak clearly and unequivocally to you about this little matter. Don't you dare tear apart what God has joined together. Don't you dare do that. This is God's work in marriage. And then finally, you remember this from the letter to the church at Ephesus? Funny how many times this shows up in the teaching of Jesus. And then one of the very last things he says in the letter to the church at Ephesus at the end of the first century, same theme. What's he saying? He's saying motive man. What, what, what are you doing asking me about this divorce thing? Whosoever shall put away his wife Save for the cause of sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And the one that marries her that is put away commits adultery. I want to tell you something about this motive thing. You may be able to deceive a lot of people about why you can't be married anymore. I just can't take this anymore. I can't live this way. I, I'm, just, I'm just dying. I, I mean, uh, the person I used to be just doesn't exist anymore. In a sense, that's right. Because the person you used to be has been joined to another person and now you're one in a new arrangement. But I'm saying to you, you can, you can think up a thousand and one reasons as to why you can't be married anymore. You can kid yourself about that. You can, you can deceive a lot of other people about that. God's not going to be fooled. And he knows the truth. And Jesus said, if you are leaving your marriage and you are seeking to be joined to someone else, you're committing adultery. Save for the cause of sexual immorality, you are committing adultery. Motive matters. I'll tell you what Jesus was saying. His disciples said, Lord, this is hard. This this is tough. This is even tougher than the conservatives. Jesus wasn't concerned about how his answer was going to stack up against the views of the day or the positions that were being bantered about. Jesus was interested in one thing. Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me? Are you willing to present your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? What Jesus said about divorce is not complicated. We've made a lot of complicated situations for ourselves to banter about with each other. What he said about marriage and divorce is not complicated. It's clear. It is straightforward. And his own disciples said, whoa. And that's exactly what the culture says. But what Jesus is asking is, who wants to be my disciple? That's the question. Because God's disciples have one thing in mind. And that is the giving of our lives to him for his glory. And our question in every situation is, how do I glorify God in this circumstance? How do I glorify God? And Jesus reminds us, Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself about this. God knows. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what what a wonderful opportunity today to think about that principle of just focusing on glorifying God and how you can do that. If you've never been united with the Lord in baptism, you can do that this morning. If you're a Christian and you've been living your life and you've been culturally tainted thinking at times like like the world and i'm saying to you what, what's wrong with just focusing on what jesus said and, and being reminded that look from the beginning here's how you glorify god in this life if you're going to get married it's for a man and a woman it's for life that's what glorifies god that's what he intended if you mess that up, you are headed in the wrong direction. And that train's going to wreck. And it's not going to glorify God. 2,000 years ago, on a bloody cross just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, gave his life for us and as he's calling us today he's asking us to give our lives back to him in obedience would you do that we can help you this morning in coming to God won't you come while we stand and sing